Iowa everywhere. All right, boys, it's game day. Let's go. Let's go. Big game. Got a big game today. My package has arrived. Oh, sweet. Nice. Goal! Great win, fellas. What game's next? G-Men are having a great year. Let's go blue! Here we go. Primetime football. Texans, Dolphins. Let's do this. Yes! Review. Yes! Yes! Heartland flags. Every sport. Every team. Every flag. Every team? That's right. Fine, fine. I'll get a Washington flag, too. Find your flag and so much more with fast, free shipping. Heartlandflags.com. Every sport, every team, every flag. Almost. Heartland Flags and Gifts presents Legends and Listeners with Scott Docterman and Chad Leistico. Fly them high and fly them proud. Find your flag at heartlandflags.com. Breaking down the Big Ten from the Channel Seat Studios, this is Iowa Everywhere. I love that intro music. Hey, Hawkeye fans, Big Ten fans, Iowans everywhere. It is episode 10 of Legends and Listeners here on the Iowa Everywhere Network. Thank you for getting us to 10 episodes. You are joined by myself, Des Moines Register sports columnist Chad Leistico, and my good friend Scott Docterman of The Athletic, my uh, my uh, carpool buddy on the ride to Madison. And uh, we are rolling live from the Channel Seed Studios. Uh, oops, they did it again, Scott. The Hawkeyes uncorked the longest rush of the Kirk Ferentz era, never snapped the ball inside Wisconsin's 20-yard line, and win by two scores, 15-6 to six, uh, at Madison. That suddenly puts this Iowa football season on an interesting, exciting trajectory. Uh, with a win this Saturday against Minnesota, the Hawkeyes can move to 7-1, and one which would be their best start since 2015. That's hard to believe. Scott, uh, welcome. Uh, we talked last week pretty candidly about kind of the tone uh, of the fan base, of the nature surrounding this team. And we also discussed what it would be like if Iowa actually went into Madison and won. So what have you kind of sensed in this in these last five days about if the conversation has changed at all about this Hawkeye team? Yeah, I think it has, Chad, and thanks for joining me today. And I think part of it is that I think the fans who are fans have decided, you know what, I'm going to embrace the ugly. It, it's not pretty football. It's not going to be pretty football this year. However, you know, they're my team, damn it. I like them. I'm going to root for them. I know it, 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 I got to plug my nose. I enjoy it, but we're, we're going to, we're rolling with the Hawkeyes. I think there's a lot of others who are like, eh, yeah, they, you know, and, and they're the ones who are kind of chronic complainers anyway. And I get it. I mean, it is not stylistically exactly what you want. And, and I think it comes down to this, Chad, are you going to enjoy the ride or are you just going to worry about the destination? And I tweeted this to somebody about, um, or X to somebody, if that's what we call it these days, about, you know, okay, Iowa's a one-armed boxer. And they keep winning these fights, and you're like, how do they keep winning these fights? 
And eventually, you know, they're going to get knocked out by the heavyweight. But are you, are you really going to worry about that and not in, not enjoy the matches that they're winning? Uh, so to me, I think the fans have kind of split. I think you're starting to see more on the Iowa side. Of course, that's only if they keep winning. <laughs> Very true. You know, I actually what I actually found watching and rewatching the Iowa Wisconsin game, I found it quite satisfying. Actually, I mean, uh, the offense ran for 200 yards. I thought there was a lot of uh, good stuff on the offensive side of the ball. Obviously, everyone's focused on the passing yardage, but you know that defensive effort, the special teams effort, uh, just to go on the road and win like that. If you if you scroll through past Iowa Wisconsin stats. Uh, Good luck finding one that's uh, really glamorous uh, in terms of uh, numbers. It's always like that. So uh, I actually enjoyed the, watching the game, and I think a lot of others did too. But also, Scott, I would say, you know, if Iowa loses this week to Minnesota, you know, the pitchforks will be back out from from the same folks that were before. So they might be laying in the weeds is my prediction for the next loss. <laughs> yeah, and I don't want to get over it. You know, we, we went over it pretty hard last week, but I start to think about, um, you know, between 2000 and 2021, where they'd won um, 12 straight games. And there was just this, you could see this pent up anger that just couldn't be released because they kept winning, you know. And so when they finally lost to Purdue, it all just came out like, yeah, it was okay. okay. You know, it's like, hey, they just won 12 straight games. You know, you're not right. happy about that. And in this case, they've won what uh, 11 in the last 13. Yep. Um, so I think overall, you've got to be pretty happy um, with where this program is heading. And and you know, the the other side of it is, you know, to focus on the positives for Iowa is that you've got to admire the resiliency and the response to adversity that this team has i mean we know they're challenged offensively you know particularly when it comes to um passing the football it's just it's not going to be there this year they're just not even let's not pretend that some ma something magical is going to happen but i think what you do is you they've found a way to overcome it they are running the football at a high level the last two weeks that was the highest output they've had since Sean Green mashed them up into meat, you know, Wisconsin meatballs back in 2000. <laughs> um, 200 yards on the ground. That's really impressive for this team. And, and the interesting part about this series is under Kirk Ferentz, the team that rushes for the most yards is uh, 21 and three or 21 and two. Sorry. Mm -hmm. so pretty much whoever wins the rushing battle wins the, wins the war. Um, but uh, so I think you can appreciate good defense, great special teams, complimentary football, winning with the resources you have. It's not enough to please everybody. And certainly in the eyes of most fans, it's like, Ugh. but I think overall their response to adversity is stronger than just about any team in the country. Yeah, we definitely talked about that last week. Uh, 221 yards on the ground if you take away the two sacks, the muffed snap, and the kneel down. So on called runs, 221, that's pretty darn good against the Badgers. Legends and Listeners is brought to you every Thursday by Heartland's Flags, Heartland Flags and Gifts. And we thank them for their continued support. The Hawkeyes are 1-0 since they sent us merch <laughs> last week. Uh, but on the flip side, the Bears lost their QB and a 10th straight NFC North game. So you win some, lose some. Uh, Anyway, Heartland Flags and Gifts offers free shipping anywhere in the U.S. Always has fresh products, nearly every team, every sport, and every flag. 
visit our good friends online at heartlandflags.com or in store at 3719 Southwest 9th Street in Des Moines. Scott, I uh, want to talk about midseason MVPs. A lot of the a lot of lists come came out this week. Uh, I voted on the midseason AP All American team, and uh, I did put a couple of Hawkeyes on there, believe it or not, and they actually got first team. But uh, we want to talk about maybe we want to pick one because it is hard to pick. There's probably three guys, right? We could pick from, I would say, maybe even four. But uh, let's maybe pick five or six. Let's go like five or six all the way to one uh, for our, for us. So uh, I'll let you start. Maybe maybe a less obvious MVP candidate, maybe not the MVP, but but a guy that's been really important to the six and one start. Yeah, I'm going to count down from five to one, Chad. I think this might be the best way to, to go ahead and, and do this. And number five to me is going to be Logan Jones. Um, I think we, we're, as we've seen, a renaissance in the way they've ran the football officially with 380 plus yards the last two weeks against Big Ten West opponents that know that's, that's what Iowa's going to do. And he's the one who's called all the signals. We haven't had very many, if any, really bad snaps from him. Um, and, you know, I, I think Connor Colby has been very successful. I think all of them have been successful, but he's got to make sure all the trains run on time and the way that they're pass protecting the way the unit is, is running the football. I, I really think somebody from that side of the ball in that particular area needs to be, you know, looked at pretty strongly. And I, I would say Logan would be my number five. Yeah, interesting. Uh, I thought you were going to say Logan Lee is five because he could. You could argue him as well. Uh, my number five actually is out for the year. Eric All. Uh, he has been in the six and one start, uh, a godsend. I mean that he ends up being probably the most impactful transfer uh, in the six and one start, just because. Man, you could argue Nick Jackson maybe as the most impactful transfer, but I think I don't think they beat Michigan State without Eric All, and then certainly don't beat Purdue. Well. I don't think they beat Purdue without Eric Gall, who had pretty much ninety uh, percent of their passing yards and their only offensive yeah. passing touchdown. So, uh, I just want to give a nod to Eric. He's out for the year. Uh, Two hundred ninety-nine passing yards. Uh, Tyler and I had had a interesting uh, discussion of whether he would finish the season as Iowa's leading receiver. Tyler says yes. I'm gonna. I just took the. Uh, I took the other side. No. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's gonna. <laughs> Right now, Nico Regaini's next uh, available at 83. So uh, that's a long climb to get to 299. So I, I think Tyler's probably going to win that. But anyway, that was my five. How about four? Number four, and this is where probably get, we'll start to get into territory where we're crossing over. I'm going to go with Cooper DeGene. I think he's uh, the best player, you know, the, the certainly the highest upside on the team. He's been largely successful, has not allowed a touchdown pass this year. Had you know multiple interceptions as we know, um, gave up a big play last week, but then rallied and had a really big fourth down stop, which was partially because he had contained, partially because he saw the play develop and he was able to stop it um, on a running play. And of course, we can't forget his punt return. That was, you know, to to me probably the most electrifying play of the season thus far. So I'm going to go with uh, Superman Cooper DeGene right there at uh, number four. Yeah, I think I'm probably underselling my number four, but uh, Jay Higgins for me is four. Uh, obviously, you know, uh, tackle machine had has had some big plays on defense. Had a pick, 
who was that against Purdue? He had one against yeah. Purdue, right? Mm-hmm. And then, uh, of course, the, the fumble recovery late against Wisconsin. He just he has shown up every single week. He has called that defense. Uh, you know, you lose Jack Campbell. That was arguably the biggest. Well, certainly the biggest question on defense was how would I replace the linebackers? Jay Higgins has has done that, and then some just playing really solid football. And I feel like he gets, he should get a lot of credit too for bringing Nick Jackson into the fold and, and getting him to play within the system. And I think you're seeing Nick Jackson play at a higher and higher level every week, just because he's growing, he's learning a new system. And that, that has been one of the many factors of why this defense is ascended uh, each, each and every week uh, this season. So uh, I'm going to give four to Higgins, but it's, uh, you know, we're like in the, this top four is kind of a top tier here. So he's not far behind the others. So how about, what about three? Yeah, I'll have more offer on Jay Higgins in a few minutes, but um, Sebastian Castro is my number three. I think he's uh, he, you know, Iowa traditionally has both on the offensive line and on defense players that ascend um, when they become seniors, they go from being very good to all big 10 caliber. And I think Sebastian Castro is, has taken his game to a completely different level. Um, His physicality is something that Iowa hasn't really had from that position for a while. They've had great players, but just a different element. And we saw that last week in the way he hits people and the impacts the game. I mean, even on a a break pass breakup, that ball landed like 20 yards behind the line of scrimmage, you know, and he, you know, there's part of me that really felt for him by going to the ground because Mm-hmm. You know how shallow we are when we vote for all American teams, the media, I mean, and two pick sixes might've got him as a first team, all American. Mm-hmm. And now he's, uh, he's going to be just like everybody else. And it's just really sad. But that said, um, what a thumper, what a, just a tremendous player that he's developed into. And, and uh, he's going to be really instrumental in the rest of the season. Yeah, and I kind of disagree with taking – everyone's commending him for sliding down there, but I kind of disagree. I think you run it back because you're already up two scores. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think there's – it's not like you're one score. I don't know. Like, it would take then like two onside kicks to beat you. Yeah. Uh, whatever. Uh, anyway, Castro is also my number three, and I actually think uh, right now, to me, he would be Big Ten defensive – back of the year it's a really tight race i mean wisconsin's uh is cornerback uh, of course penn state you know has yeah. an elite corner but you know doesn't have the stats cooper DeGene, you he might those two might be neck and neck tyler newbin of course in minnesota who we'll yeah. see this week I, there's probably others i'm forgetting scott but uh man he's playing at a high level and cooper DeGene even said the other day like his the way castro is playing has been emblematic sort of of this defense's growth you know into mm-hmm. what we didn't know it would be to now it's starting to look like getting close to maybe an elite defense so he's my three uh two for you is this is a coin flip i'm going with tory taylor okay um uh, he's uh you know his is he's had some great games in the past chad we've seen it especially you know 2001 the the wins against iowa state and penn state were really on his leg and uh, but I think the game against Wisconsin might that's the one that um, if he gets drafted that and you hear the the da, 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 NFL music and you know on ESPN and uh, <laughs> April <laughs> they should show all of that it's I know it's my ringtone too but, <laughs> but it's uh, that's what they should show is 
what he did against Wisconsin. I mean, 10 punts, averaging 50.6 yards per punt. Um, he's among the, the nation's leaders in, in both 50-plus and inside the 20. Only one touchback. That is remarkable. And to me, the most impressive punt that he had the other day was when they were at the plus 43. And he uh, he hit that ball, and it's like a, you know, I guess it was like a perfect golf shot, you know, or bounced mm-hmm. at, the, at the half yard line and spun back to the four. Um, just a, a tremendous, you know, game. I know you wrote about it this week. I know it's heresy. You know, we're both, we both grew up in the 80s in Iowa and watched this team and this program. And Reggie Roby is, up on a pedestal and it's almost heresy like trying to say somebody is as good as Bob Sanders. It's the same way when you start talking about Reggie Roby, but he's better. I'll, yeah. I'll throw myself out there because Reggie, the one thing he couldn't do was punt from plus territory. Yeah. They he didn't pooch punt. Yeah, yeah. Smales came in to do that mm-hmm. because he just had such an incredibly booming leg and, and Tory Taylor's maybe it's not quite as booming as Reggie's nobody's was, but for him to, to be able to park the ball inside the 10, with regularity and lead to points, I think is you can't underestimate that. Yeah, uh, no arguments there. Uh, Cooper DeGene is number two for me, and Tory Taylor number one for me. So, okay, um, Taylor. Uh, I, I tried to think about it of where you know, would this team be six and one without that player? And to me, I just there's no way I don't think without Tory Taylor. Um, that they would be. So I think he has been their MVP, which is obviously very Iowa-ish, very on brand. <laughs> um, but I think you could make the same argument for Cooper DeGene. And I know, obviously, I can tell who your number one is going to be here. But, uh, man, Cooper is also hard to uh, – I mean, without the punt returning against Michigan State, do they win? Uh, doubt it. I mean, he also had that big interception in that game. So um, re- it was a really tough debate in my head for those two. But – Honestly, I had to go with the punter, but uh, obviously I want to give you a chance to talk about your number one before we move on. Yeah, and it was tough really for the top four, but especially the top two for me um, because I think uh, Higgins and Taylor to me could be 1A, 1B in whatever order you want them to be. But I really like um, the way Jay Higgins has led the defense because you cannot replace a guy like Jack Campbell in any facet because not only does he one of the best leaders Iowa's ever had, but he's also one of the, um, you know, just an impact performer, which is why he was a first round draft pick, a great player. Um, but Jay has walked in and been the equivalent of a leader that, that, uh, that J- uh, Jack was. And, and his production is even higher to some extent, you know, he's second in the nation in tackles. He's solidified that unit that I think was really a question mark. When you lose Seth Benson, who was a really good player, and you know, and Justin Jacobs heads to Oregon, you just really have a lot of question marks. And the way he built it, you know, and, and helped Nick Jackson grow, and what he's done at that position, and, and how he's hit—I mean, he is a freight train. He probably is a better, bigger hitter than even Campbell was. And so I look at this as um, this is the unit that Iowa wins with, and he's been—you know—maybe he's not. The NFL ready guy. He's certainly not at Cooper DeGene in that regard, but he's also just a, a really a tremendous player. Real quick, do you think of those three defensive players we mentioned? Do you think any of them come back next year? No, okay. I don't. I, I think kinda, they all go. I mean, you know, I mean, they all and, have the and, option. Hmm. 
you know, you know, Higgins, I could see maybe, but, but then again, he reminds me like of Anthony Hitchens and Mm. let's say he comes out, where would you put him in the draft? Probably fourth or fifth round. Um, If he comes back and he puts up the same numbers, does he get better? Yeah, I don't know. And then you have another year of wear and tear. Now, granted, you have NIL to do that. But, you know, Cooper mm-hmm. might be the one that I would say just simply because, you know, maybe he wants to win the Heisman. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think all fans would uh, sign up no, for that one. Yeah. Um, well, Scott, Circa Sports lists Iowa as a three and a half point favorite against Minnesota and the over under is 31 and a half points as always circa sports is the exclusive sports betting app of Iowa everywhere circa sports is sports betting the way it should be with the highest limits lowest holds and the best odds download the app today at the app store or circus sports.com uh 31 and a half points I don't know it's supposed to be like in the 60s this weekend so it seems low to me but every time it's low it they go under like in the bowl game and and whatnot so <laughs> Um, real quick, like super quick, let's rate the final five opponents because we had this in our list. We're starting to go long already from toughest to or uh, yeah, tough. Well, I guess toughest to easiest. So we're ranking top fives again here. Uh, you go first I'll, and then just rattle it off. And then I'll go five and we can maybe okay. talk about it. All right. In, in order of toughest to least toughest, I guess I would put them all pretty close to the same. Yeah. I'm going to go with number one. The toughest will be Nebraska. It'll, it's their last true road game. Uh, it's a team they lost to last year. They have a really good defense for the most part. Um, and I think there's the potential for that to be a, a kind of a showdown game for the Big Ten West. And we know that this rivalry is starting to cook. And it could sizzle and fizz and go over the top. Number two, I'll go with the Rutgers. Um, tough team, physical team. Um, they won in strong fashion last week against Michigan State. Number three is the opponent this week, Minnesota. I think Minnesota, you know, has come close to Iowa several years in a row. They they compete hard every year and in, in every area. So I, I kind of look at them that way. Number four is the Fighting Illini. Coming to Kinnick Stadium, um, I think they might have the best offensive talent of the teams remaining. I like Caden Fagan. You know, he was kind of a gut punch to Iowa when he picked Illinois over the Hawkeyes. But um, and Isaiah Williams is a pretty good receiver. And then finally, I'll go with uh, the Northwestern Wildcats at Wrigley Field. And um, I'm still not really. I think they played hard. That's what I'll give them. <laughs> Pretty much the same list. I got Nebraska one, but I have Minnesota two, Rutgers three, uh, Illinois four, Northwestern five. I think uh, the North. The, I feel like this game comes at a terrible time, uh, just because yeah. you're banged up. Uh, they they like to run the ball, and you're you could use Noah Shannon this week. You could use a full strength YA Black this week. Gives me pause uh, about the outcome of this game, uh, but you're probably going to have both those guys back at Wrigley Field. You're going to have two more weeks to have worked with Deacon Hill, get the offense kind of calibrated how you want. So I feel like that's that to me is the surest win. But there is no sure thing with this Hawkeye team. Uh, Mm -hmm. No question about it. Uh, So I I am nervous about this game this weekend, Uh, but we'll talk about that a little bit more. But first, Scott, let's dig into our main discussion of the day. Uh, Kirk Ferentz this week. Uh, you asked uh, two great questions, uh, and he said on the radio show last night, somebody asked me about the stats, and I don't care about this. We have a Scott Doctorman, Kurt. Yeah. Come on. You know who <laughs> Scott is. Uh, but anyway, this topic, uh, he said Deacon Hill remains clear number one. 
And uh, of course, that's generated a lot of uh, discussion about, hey, what about Joe Labus? We saw him win a bowl game. So let's have a discussion, Scott. And this topic was inspired by Pat, who's in my text group. And uh, shout out to Pat. Uh, uh, The spin on his question is this. What can Iowa expect from its QB the rest of the year? And more importantly, why hasn't it developed anyone in recent years? Scott, uh, which part of that do you want to start with? I think the let, let's start with the now. Here's mm-hmm. living the now. Um, yeah, okay, go for and, it. Yeah, I, I think right now, unfortunately, where they're living is don't screw it up. You know, just hand off the ball. If, if, the, the, if the receiver is wide open and you feel like you can get the ball to him, then do it. Otherwise, throw it away. We'll punt. We got a great punter. We got a great defense. Let's not lose the game on offense, which is more risk averse than any other strategy in the face of the earth. But it is one that has won. Um, so 27 to 70 right now is Deacon Hill, which are numbers that I brought up. And of course, Kirk said, well, and then, and then he made sure to, to let Dolph know that, you know, well, you know, the most important one is he didn't turn the ball over. Well, he just about did. He fumbled a ball that uh, could have been returned the other way. And he luckily for him, he recovered it. And the other one was the interception that the big lineman had was overturned. So I think overall, it was close to being turnover, uh, a couple of big turnovers. So I would just say best thing for Iowa is if it's Deacon Hill the rest of the way, just try to play mistake-free football. And uh, it's a scary way to play, but you just going to have to do it. Yeah, I don't know how much better you can get. I just think, you know, Kirk always talks about balance and uh, I just I don't see them totally abandoning the pass and Minnesota is going to make him make him throw this week. So they're going to have to he's going to have to prove he can hit some throws. And, I, you know, when I rewatch the game and I know it's probably not going to be a popular opinion, but other than the ones that were batted down, which were three or four, three, <laughs> yeah. um, three plus the middle tight end screen, which was a disaster. So the, the other 10 throws were actually pretty <laughs> accurate. If you look at them, even some of the. Uh, you know, he had a nice strike to all. Even that one to Stilianos was, or I think it was uh, Jacuzzi, uh, was just a little off on the play action. I'd like to, what I'd like to see, Scott, now that they've established some run, is the play action because Deacon is not good in the pocket. They were terrible out of 11 the other day. Um, actually, terrible out of 13 as well. That's another discussion. But as a drop back passer, that's not his game. I was going to have to get get him in that play action. I feel like I think that's the way to go. Maybe the boot action, uh, you know, reestablish some of that bootleg passing game. I feel like that's the ceiling. Is just kind of making the makeables, as we've said in the past. Um, but anyway, let's just yeah. hang on, hang on for the ride here, right? <laughs> right. I, I, you're right, and and it's. You know, does a drop back game? I think play action has to work, and I think it can work because you're going to see every team is going to stuff the box. You know, it's just going to. Yeah, it should work, right? Play action should work. And you're everyone's expecting run. Exactly. You're going to get one on one matchups on the outside. This is exactly what the receivers want. This is me versus another guy to make a play. If you give me a chance on the ball, I'll make it. Mm -hmm. And so that should work. I like bootlegs, rollouts. It depends if, if, what kind of functions there, but I think, uh, cause it, what it does is for him is it cuts the field in half and it mm-hmm. pre- usually gives you two type of, uh, you know, receivers that are in the, that area. So 
I think, you know, you could do those things if that works, but you've also, he's just got to be careful. And, and I think that's the, the strategy right now is don't make a mistake. And it, you hate to play that way. It's like, yeah, you know, it's like, don't shoot a three pointer unless you're open. And then, yeah, right. And you, no one guards you and then you can't yeah. make it, you know, you know, and then you have, you know, a defender like Caitlin Clark kind of <laughs> in South Carolina, you know, kind of brush. That's what off. defenders should do to Joe Le- or uh, Deacon Hill. Nah, yeah, nah. exactly. Let so, him throw. Uh huh. But he's got to hit a couple of those shots. And I think he can. I think he does have a big, strong arm. And if if they can run a couple of times, it's they're successful. The you know, the the linebackers move closer to the line of scrimmage, they blitz or safety blitz. You should have the opportunity to hit somebody like Seth Anderson um down the field. And I think it'll come this game. You just, as long as you stay away from number 27, Tyler Newman. Don't don't test him. Yes. He's too good. He's, I was just thinking about that while I was on my run today. Like uh yeah, that's the one like they're going to put eight in the box, probably put Newbin covering the tight end, I'm guessing. And then the other two guys on the outside and yeah, don't throw to the throw to the tight end could be risky this week. Anyway, uh, let's talk about development, Scott, because it's an, it's, it's ugly, man. It's ugly. Uh, maybe I was realizing it has to go with transfers now. Um, but you know, I, I just tweeted it out. The, the high, I mean, I, it's, it's amazing. I can't find really Nate Stanley, is a hit. But if you look at the last decade or so of quarterback acquisition and development, thank you, Aiden, for putting that up. Uh, Oof. We don't know about James. I mean, James Rezar isn't even here yet. Marco Lina has just got here, but but look at the the rest of that list. And when you look at that, Carson May, Joe Labus, Deuce Hogan, Alex Padilla, Spencer Petras, Peyton Manziel, Nate Stanley, Ryan Boyle, Drew Cook, Tyler Wiegers, Nick Shimanek, that goes all the way back to C.J. Beathard in the mm-hmm. class of 2012. For those that are listening only on this one later, Scott, uh, what what do you see here? Obviously, uh, here, here's one little stat I put down, and then I'll throw it to you. Since Ryan, Bo- uh, since Nate Stanley, so the closest in proximity to this quarterback, you know, to Iowa City, is 548 miles. Joe Labus, they just, they go so far outside of Iowa. It's so against normal recruiting patterns. It's it's so interesting, and it just hasn't worked. What do you see here on, on this tapestry of a failure? <laughs> wow, um, yeah, it's you know I, I would say this that except for the blue bloods, it's usually one out of about every three quarterbacks hit for most teams. And, uh, you know, that's why we see so many transfers now and we see transfers who become backups at places just because of the same type of system, like a Deacon Hill, for instance. I think what I look at first is, you know, you go all the way back and I think hits were Jake Jake Rudock and C.J. Beathard. They were both quality Big Ten quarterbacks who had NFL opportunities and C.J. Beathard may even start tonight uh, for the Jaguars with with Trevor Lawrence hurt. Uh, but then you start to look at other ones like Shimonic. Uh, Shimonic, he he wasn't going to get his opportunity here, and so he left. And he had a pretty he was a decent player for Texas Tech. Um, you know, Uyghurs got into a, a straight up battle with with Stanley, lost that battle. Um, I don't think of him as a negative necessarily. Now. Sure. You know, Boyle didn't work out here. He played it at, you know, Indiana State. Drew Cook, um, it didn't work out at quarterback. They gave him a chance. But then you start, as you mentioned, they start decided to kind of go philosophically to wherever they can get a quarterback. And we've seen 
you know, there was a lot, of, a ton of hype with Deuce Hogan, probably more than the, than the rest. And that clearly didn't work out here. Uh, took extreme offense to a off the cuff insult mar- remark from Kirk at, at Nebraska, basically quit the team then. Um, Padilla was supposed to be better. He wasn't. And he's not playing for SMU either. Carson yeah. May, only one year here. That was a little weird why he would transfer and then went to Juco and now he's at Wyoming. I don't know. I, I'm trying to figure out the the symmetry. I, you know, Spencer Petrus is probably the most interesting one of the bunch to me because he had the most run. He was also highly sought. And he had a lot of tangible and intangibles that really fit this program. It was just a couple of areas where he was deficient and could have Iowa improved in those areas for him? I don't know. That's a good question. So I guess the question is, you know, is it the the recruiting or is it the development? Which is the bigger piece that's missing with Iowa's quarterback situation? There's so many tangents we can go on here. And obviously they've gone for the pro style Mm -hmm. typically. And I still have never quite – grasped why that is especially when arguably your two best seasons have been with mobile quarterbacks brad banks cj bethard Mm -hmm. and you could even argue drew tate had more movement to him Mm -hmm. um than most of the others now i'm not saying rick stanzi did but um but certainly i don't understand that completely but aside from that that's a, probably a whole other podcast, right? For the Horse Latitudes podcast. <laughs> yeah, a whole other podcast. What do you think, development or or is it recruiting? More so, and then we can get into more on this. I actually think that it's recruiting um, because I think you look at these players and where what most of them who have left, what did they do when they went to that mm-hmm. uh, you know spot? And 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 there are some that you know again, you're not going to hit on all of them. You know, and some of them are at a different level and some of them would have been okay. You know, I, I look at, um, you know, Tyler Wiegers, for instance, you know, he went to Eastern Michigan. He lost to Nate Stanley. That was the right decision for Iowa. Mm-hmm. He threw, St- Nate Stanley threw 68 career touchdown passes, 13th in the Big Ten when he left. Um, you know, you look at Peyton Manzel. Was that the right guy? I mean, that was a Greg Davis guy. He went and played at Abilene Christian. He was okay. But, um, but I think overall that they're making – decisions that sometimes you just you wonder about like mm-hmm. look the, the one that we're going to compare for the next handful of years probably chad is jj cole going to iowa state and marco Linez the third coming to iowa iowa made its choice very early that's not to say cole wouldn't have picked iowa state anyway um right. you know with his pedigree and everything but and, and background but you know we're gonna we're gonna see how do they line up how do they you know navigate the next three to four years and and, you know, like they really wanted um, Will Levis. That was the guy they really wanted and they couldn't get him. You know, he picked Penn State. Would Iowa have been different with him? Yeah, uh, for sure. It's but so I think it's about getting the right quarterback. Now, if we want to argue that Iowa hasn't developed them better, you know, maybe there's a case with Spencer Petrus. Maybe there's a case with, um, you know, anybody. Beathard? Yeah. You know, it could be in recent um, years, especially. Yeah. But what, what do you think? I'm interested in hearing this. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, I think recruiting is sort of part of the 
is probably the bigger issue, even though uh, I still think Iowa needs a real quarterbacks coach mm-hmm. at some point here um, because you're not getting that development. You're just not seeing it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, yeah, like what confidence do you have right now that, you know, I mean, so Joe Labus, I mean, we heard pretty good things about him, right? On the scout team. Yeah. And what is, where has he gone from, from there? Like static, yeah. if not worse. Like what, how does, how does a talent that you obviously see and even coaches are telling us, wow, this guy's got something right. And, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden he doesn't and mm-hmm. he can't beat out Deacon Hill. Like, is it, did, I don't know. Like, I'm just wondering, are you too, where do you just spend all your time with the starter and all of a sudden these backups don't get enough attention? I just don't know. Like I, I I'm very concerned about the development. And then certainly you still have to bring up, you know, you had Spencer Petras, Zach Wilson, and Trey Lance, you know, and you you went, you picked the the worst one of the three. <laughs> I mean, college-wise. Um, no. In the pros, you know, neither one has really panned out. But mm-hmm. um, I don't know. There's, there's just so much wrong. It just feels like it's, it's time to reboot. And I – don't see that necessarily happening. Um, I don't know. I, I'm just kind of lost in this whole discussion be, just because it seems like recruiting's bad, the development's bad, and the style's bad. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> you got to fix all three to me. No question. I think it's it, it really comes down to the offense in some ways. What are you trying to tell your, your quarterbacks to do? And they it is a very complicated offense, and which – floors me when you start to see freshmen succeeding all over the country at institutions that are got higher pedigrees than, than Iowa, you know, and that are more blue bloods. And all of a sudden it's like, hey, this freshman went in and threw for 400 yards. You're like, what? You know, I thought it takes you, you know, good two years to learn an offense and it's the 130th offense in the country. You know, you got to make things simpler. You got to make things easier. And I think in some ways is how much do they trust the quarterback and how much don't they? And the, they trust the system more so than the quarterback. Um, as you mentioned with Joey Labus, I think we, you know, both of us have talked to assistant coaches who, you know, once one defensive coach told me one time, he's like, yeah, he's got some Drew Tate to him. You know, I really like the way he handles himself. You know, some of the players did, you know, that, yeah, he's got, he talks a lot of smack. He does a lot of things, but I also hear throws a lot of interceptions in practice. And that's the that's, that's the a no no for Kirk, right? Yeah. Which so is understandable. It's exactly. understandable the way they play. So, how do you get from this guy makes plays to lower your interceptions, but don't neuter him, you know, necessarily on the field? And I think that's really the the hallmark of this of the whole offense and and at quarterbacks coach and everything else is how do you get somebody who can make plays, but don't you know? As Lisa Bluter said last week, you don't tell a, a thoroughbred whoa. You know, so maybe that's something that they are going to have to look at interest, you know, in introspectively to decide how do we get this guy to just go ahead and make plays, but be careful of this and don't do it often. Maybe he just does it so much and they tell him all the time and it's to, it's the point they can't have it. But what happens if Deacon Hill gets hurt? I mean, you know, are they going to just say I'm behind you 100 percent, you know, kind of like. Uh, Bud Kilmer and Johnny Moxon, you know, in, in Varsity Blues, or you know, I don't know, man. It's uh, 
but I think we'd all like to see some sort of quarterback come here that, you know, looks the part and maybe Cade will be that way next year, but we didn't quite see it in the first four games. I think you at least have to transition to mobile. Yeah. You know, get your, get a quarterback run game going with this offense. And I think they're at least on the right track with Marco and James Rezar, who's got a really good speed. I know that and has good rushing numbers. So maybe they're trending that way when, when those two guys are ready to go. But also, you know, what system is Marco learning right now? He's not learning a, you know, zone read system or uh, I feel like with the way Iowa is built around tight ends, run game, offensive line, like you need a running quarterback. You don't need the pocket quarterback. You need somebody who can get outside the congestion and make plays and run the bootleg game. And uh, just uh, it's never added up to me because you've had the best season in Iowa football offensive history. Yes. You had a great line. Totally get that. But that was Brad Banks, man. He was he was able to to run for first downs when he needed third down conversions. I mean, that's where quarterbacks really come into play. You see it with, you know, Mahomes. You know, mm-hmm. you, you need four yards, he gets five or yeah. whatever. You know, those guys are so elite, and you see it in college too all the time. Oh. So that it, it boggles my mind that that's not part of the that they just say nope, that's not us. We're not going to do that. Don't get that. Yeah, and. And it's happened here, 2015. C.J. Beathard ran for 34 first downs. Um, And I don't know if it's been surpassed yet, but I knew since 2020 up until like week three or four, there were fewer quarterback first down runs over three plus years than there was in that one singular year. You know, and, and when you take away those sacks, and there were a lot of them in 2015, I mean, he ran for almost 500 yards. And we're not talking about just the the 50-yard run out of the end zone. We're talking about, when uh, against Pittsburgh, yeah, where he takes off, on a draw, takes off on a draw, hits the ground, calls timeout, and then Marshall Kane kicks a 57-yard field goal. You don't have that in the playbook right now. You need that in your playbook. And as you said, Chad, I mean, if you're not going to throw the wide receivers, then why do you have a, a pro-style mm-hmm. quarterback? Why right. do you have an immobile quarterback? Yes. Um, so at this point, it's it's it doesn't make sense. I mean, you're better off just having a, a running back occasionally pass and then run, 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 run the whole time as opposed to the system. Because again, you know, Kirk can deny it all he wants, but 27 to 70 is not a number you want from a high school quarterback, let alone alone a a major college quarterback. And I don't know if they would do this, but no, there's no question. Joe Labus has some mobility. That's what we've heard. We've, we even saw it a little bit last year in the bowl game. So if Deacon Hill is just flaming, you know, pile of turds this week against Minnesota. You got the bye week. I mean, do you, is there any, I mean, I don't think Iowa would actually do it, but at that, at that point, do you make a switch and, you know, let's say he's, you know, 35 of a hundred by, or 35 of 90 by, by next week or whatever. And Deacon Hill, I mean, and I mean, can you maybe, make some tweaks where you get some, some boot games, some quarterback run game. And, uh, you know, worst, worst case scenario is it goes terribly and mm-hmm. you have to bring Deacon Hill in, which I don't know if he's going to save the day, but, uh, you know, at least I, I just, uh, so I don't know. I could, 
I know we're getting now we're back to this yeah. this year's conversation here, but right. it just it comes back to development. Like, what are you doing with Joe Labus right now? Are you just going to yeah. let him let him drift off into the you know to the Mac or whatever or oh yeah or what? Um, I mean, I mean, I think I would, his comments the other day said he's he's not going to be here past the end of the regular season. I and I wouldn't blame him. You know, that just basically gave him no path to the playing field. Mm-hmm. My question is at this point, how much? You know how much faith do you have in somebody like Marco Lainez? You know, I know yeah. he's a true freshman, and he's—I'm sure he's on the scout team. But at some point, I'm sure he's also had to take some snaps too with the big boys. Um, how much worse off are you than that? I mean, when you're talking about six of twenty-one against Purdue, six of fourteen against Wisconsin, and, you know, your first two starts, you're twelve of thirty-five, um, and then this week will be a challenge. Now. You know, that to me is, is something also that needs to be discussed, and, and maybe it will be. I mean, you brought this guy in here from New Jersey, and, he, you know, you want him to learn the system. But at some point, you know, if you're not going to play Labus and you're going to get this kind of production and your mm-hmm. only metric, it seems, is, well, he didn't turn the ball over, and he damn near did twice. Yeah. Right. Uh, you know, this isn't one, it wasn't just like he wasn't perfect on that. I mean, that that interception – I was kind of surprised it didn't stick, you know, with the the big boy there from Wisconsin. And then so it's me. I think you got to look at it and go, maybe we should give this guy a shot, you know, at least during the bye week, see what he's got with Iowa's offense. And uh, because maybe he can make some throws, maybe he can move the ball and you'll live with a couple of bad calls. Sure. Uh, man, I wish we could go on forever with this thing. So uh, we we got to move on. We got to wrap up. So uh, good good conversation there, Scott. Uh, I'm guessing we're going to be talking about quarterbacks more. So uh, folks, don't get discouraged. We'll be talking more about this, I'm sure, in the coming weeks. But let's get to our final final thoughts here. Obviously, a huge week uh, in the Big Ten. The game of the year thus far: Penn State, Ohio State, Saturday, 11 a.m. on Fox. Uh, Man, that's an interesting ball game. I I read the piece. Uh, let's give a shout out to to your um, company, the Athletic. I, I thought it was an awesome piece on uh, what coaches are saying about that matchup. And after reading that, man, I think Penn State's winning. Really? Do you? I'm I'm going to go the other way. Okay. Uh, I, and the only reason why is, you know, Drew Aller had you know I mean against Northwestern it was a really bad first half. And against Illinois, wasn't his best game. He was like 16 to 33. Now he played outstanding against Iowa, but I think everybody played outstanding against Iowa that day. It was a game they clearly wanted to win and, and win decisively. So um, going to the big house, <laughs> and this is your first shot at a major power on the road. Um, I mean, I'm sorry, not the big house, duh. The the horseshoe, the shoe. The shoe. Damn me! Uh, don't throw watermelons and stuff at me. But I, I do think overall, um, you know, I, I think I like Ohio State to win and, and right. cover. Cover. Okay. All right. We're on the opposite sides there. Uh, I think last time we were on opposite sides, uh, you were. 100% right, and I was 100% wrong. So if you guys are going to Circa, maybe listen to Scott. Uh, but let, let's talk about, real quick, predictions for this week's game. Uh, Iowa is just a three-and-a-half-point favorite, Scott. Um, I put my prediction out there at hawkcentral.com this morning. Uh, what do you got? I'm going to go with uh, the Hawkeyes 16-12. to 12, So I think they even <laughs> – They cover. They cover and they get the under at 31-and-a-half. Uh, um 
I think it's going to be a really close, tough game because even though this is not a great Minnesota team by any stretch, they want, you know, what do you want to do? You want to beat one of your rivals. And this is an opportunity for them to get the pig for the first time since 2014. We know that PJ Fleck has not beaten Kirk Ferentz ever, even when he was at Western Michigan. So I think they're, they're going to come strong and play hard. And, but I think Iowa is a better team and Iowa can force some action against their, you know, their offense, which if Darius Taylor plays, it could be a, cha- you know, a greater yeah. challenge, but I, I like the Hawkeyes just barely in a very low scoring game as always. <laughs> I think, I think Iowa gets some points this week. So I got them winning 23, 13, but I do think it's going to be a tense game. And uh, you know, Drew Stevens he continues to be a, a major weapon for this team. So mm-hmm. I think three field goals from him, uh, probably a touchdown on defense at some point. I mean, they're, they haven't had one since the Iowa state game. And then uh, as I've kind of wrote in my my preview, Scott, and I'll get your thoughts on this and then we'll go. I know we're going long. Hope hope everyone at Iowa Everywhere is not on, you know, we're not charging extra for this. <laughs> this is a free bonus minute. But I I wrote that this is a real parallel to 2015's game going to Northwestern because uh, you, you really banged up after that Illinois game. I don't know if you remember that. but mm. Oh, yeah. Uh, and Jordan Canzeri was kind of like Leshawn Williams that day, you know, running, you know, big, long touchdown run. He ran 43 times, I think, for 256 or something like that that day. Mm-hmm. Bethard was like, could barely move. Uh, they were down to James Daniels at right tackle, true freshman. Yeah. And uh, they ended up kicking Sean Welsh out to tackle. Uh-huh. So guard kicking out to tackle, Scott. All uh-huh. right. <laughs> so the other way around. Yeah, yeah. Uh, at Northwestern. And, uh, yeah, they went 40 to 10. So uh, they – and then the bye. That's what I'm saying. The last game before the bye, you're coming off of, you know, you're banged up. But then on the flip side, in 2021, you're coming off an emotional win. You're 6-0, and starting to get banged up. Uh, you got one game before the bye, and then you, you lay an egg against Purdue at home, um, you know, 2021. So it could go one or the other, you know, one way or another there, I guess. And um I'm kind of leaning that this goes the 2015 way more so than the 2021 way, just because I was not getting all the love that they got in 21, you know, like everyone was hating on them in 2015 and that actually worked well. The one thing I'll say is the 15 and 21 teams are much better than the the 23 version. Yeah. I'm not comparing like quality here. Yeah. But I'm also going to say that the, the opponents were much better too. Northwestern was ranked. One uh, ten games that year, and Purdue had, you know, the the ultimate Iowa killer in David Bell. I mean, he had five hundred and some yards against the Hawkeyes in three games, and and Aiden O'Connell was an NFL quarterback, and they had a scheme that could really, you know, pound Iowa. I mean, they're playing an opponent now. This, if I think this was the Minnesota team from last year, I'd be very worried. I, I would not pick Iowa to win if this. If there's Mo Ibrahim and John Michael Schmitz was was a center and all that, but. Uh, I think this is, um, but this is a gut check moment for a team that handles them really well. Yes. The way they are resilient and the way they handle adversity, they'll be all right. They'll they'll throw down. It's just, you know, they could really use a solid from the NCAA <laughs> today. Yeah, wouldn't that be something if they yeah. made the call Friday and with <laughs> Shannon's in the lineup? Yeah. But I, I don't think it's going to happen, but that would be really awesome. Right. Really great story. Anyway, thanks, Scott. Good to talk to you, buddy. Yeah. See you Saturday. Looking forward to it as always.
All right. Reminder to fans that Saturday is a stripe out game at Kinnick Stadium. It looks like good weather. Enjoy the day. Feel free to crank up legends and listeners at your tailgate. Tell your friends about us. Until next time, for Scott Docterman, this is Chad Leistico. We will talk about this game next week with you at Thursday on Thursday at 11 a.m. from the Channel Seed Studios here on Legends and Listeners on the Iowa Everywhere Network. So long, folks. Iowa Everywhere.